Hi, welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John. Hello. And Hannah. And today we're going to be talking about inventories and equipment in RPGs. John. Yeah. Obviously, we've done quite a few roleplay games between us. Yeah, I've played played one or two of my time. And I'm assuming that most of the people that are listening are familiar with how equipment works in D&D. I.e. you have a page on your character sheet where you have a list of all the stuff your character's carrying. And depending on how uh, strict your GM is, that can equate to effectively a van full of stuff or it can be a strict limit set according to how strong your character is. Yeah, I mean, I think... um, I think inventory lists and encumbrance, which for anyone who's not aware, is the name often used for like uh, how you get slowed down by the weight of your equipment mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think it's one of the most often sort of like fudged slashed house rules slash just flat out ignored bits in a game. Indeed. Because I mean, l- let's face it, totting up all these encumbrance things and then sort of like trying to work out, oh, that minuses me five movement and my dex is, <laughs> it's not particularly interesting. I mean, if you think about um, D&D and obviously originally it wasn't meant to emulate sort of fantasy films but that tends to be more how it's gone sort of nowadays you know it emulates a particular genre and if you think about it when you ever see a film where they're like oh let's go and fight that dragon and they're like oh I forgot to like I forgot to pack a spare dagger or like oh I forgot However, my how often do you see a film where somebody's given a MacGuffin in Act 1 and it comes up useful in Act 3 that's true but that's like a plot element I'd classify that as like a treasure rather than just basic equipment I mean okay. you very rarely see a bit when they're like right we're going to go and fight the dragon however first we've got to spend half an hour of the film at the local like corner shop like buying swords and <laughs> ten foot poles and stuff like that indeed and a lot of D&D can like devolve into that yeah now at the other extreme you've got something like my fate game where mm-hmm. it's the Star Trek universe therefore everybody's got access to a replicator yeah, it's post scarcity so, isn't it yeah so it, it's completely irrelevant how much money you've got you can just walk up to a machine and ask for something and if it's something that machine can't make then you still don't have to put that much effort in unless I choose to make it difficult for you to get something well we should so it's going to random tangent we should we should do an episode where we talk about like Star Trek technology and like modern technology. I know, and I'm sure everyone out there knows that like mm-hmm. Star Trek, the original series, influenced a lot of modern technology from like the flip phones to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you think about things like replicators, and then you think, well, we've got 3D printers now. So uh, I think Isaac Arthur's probably got his beat on that. He's done well, two or three episodes and he actually knows what he's talking about. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously Isaac Arthur is like amazing in terms of the science yeah, stuff. Well, and watch Isaac Arthur's YouTube if you're running a sci-fi game. Yeah, what's, what's the name of it? Is that Futurism with Isaac Arthur or something like that? SFIA, Science and Futurism with Isaac well, yeah, Arthur. Definitely going to listen to that if you're into like your sci-fi, <laughs> you want to hear some cool stuff about science. Great channel. But I mean, in terms of like role-play stuff, I think we could talk a bit about that and sort of how you can you can extend and extrapolate what we've got now to make convincing sort of future things. But obviously we're getting off track. We're I, talking about inventories. I, I do kind of feel like you're trying to distract me from the inventories with talk of Star Trek because you know I fucking love Star Trek. Why why would I want to distract you? (laughs) But anyway, so, in between those two extremes, you've got a system that works really, really well for the equipment stuff, and that's the main reason I was suggesting doing this episode, because we've been playing this system, and we've played uh, Scum and Villainy, and we're currently playing Band of Blades. That's correct. And do you want to explain a bit about the system? Yeah, 
the yeah, how okay. the equipment stuff works in the system. So, so basically, I'm going to give you a very, very brief explanation of the sort of overview of Band of Blades because it informs how the inventory system works. But I'm not going to go into too much detail. We did a session zero recording, so you can check that out if you want to find out more about Band of Blades. But essentially, it's a sort of dark military fantasy dealia where you play the, the sort of higher ups, the leaders, the decision makers of the human forces fighting against this undead like Lich King called the Cinder King. And unfortunately, the human armies have already been beat. The final battle has already been lost. You are now in a retreat, trying to desperately get to a place called Sky Dagger Keep and make your final stand. Now, as well as playing those sort of high-up decision-makers, when you send people off on a mission to like get resources or weapons or whatever, you choose which of the men from your force are going to go on the mission, and you then take their part to play the mission. And the, the reason that's relevant in terms of inventory is because every time you go on a mission, you get to pick what's called a load for the character that you're playing, mm-hmm. and this is basically the list of equipment they have for a game. And it's classified in three different ways. Now you can either take a light load, a normal load or a heavy load. Now if you take a light load you get, you'll get you get a certain amount of equipment and you might get one or two little choices but you get like a finite amount of equipment, normally three to four sort of items. If you take a normal load you get all of that stuff and some extra stuff with the understanding that you're not as fast moving, you're a bit weighed down, you're a bit less stealthy. If you take a heavy load that's when like the stish had to get real and you're going strapped up with all your weapons, you've got army, you've got muskets, you've got all the stuff off the light and the normal loads, and you've got a load of extra shizzle off the heavy loads. But you are armed to the teeth, you are not stealthy by any means, you are slow moving, so you are trading out speed and flexibility for the hitting power. In addition to that, whatever load you select, you also get what's called the utility load, where you get to select a couple of items from a little list, and that just rounds off your equipment choice and gives you a sort of a little bit of personalization. So that's how it works for Band of Blades. And one of the reasons I personally quite like this is because there's still a bit of flexibility because you get to pick your load individually. So one person might go, oh, I'm the scout for this mission. I'll take a light load so I can move quickly. And one person might go, right, I'm the heavy, I'm for when stuff goes wrong. I'm going to take a heavy load. So you've got a bit of flexibility, but you don't have to spend a long time selecting all your stuff. Mm -hmm. You pick light, medium, or heavy load. You choose a couple of little extra bits. Boom, done. Exactly. And all the equipment's already sort of flavoured around the speciality of that character. So if you play a heavy, you'll have different equipment options to a medic. And I think that's one of the reasons why it works in Band of Blades, because all of the characters have a strong theme. And the equipment lists in Scum and Villainy work very similarly, yeah. but you choose how much stuff you're bringing, but not what stuff. Yeah. And each character type has their own list from which you can pick certain stuff that will add to your load. There will also be certain things on that list that are in italics, so they don't add to your encumbrance. Yeah, so the, the way it works in Scum and Villainy, as Hannah was saying, again, you select whether you're going for like a, a light, medium or heavy load with all the sort of upsides and downsides that brings however unlike band of blades where you like you because your resources the equipment that the legion your army has is a big thing in band of blades however in scum and villainy you don't pick your equipment straight off you pick a light load and it'll say you've got this many boxes of equipment and then there'll be a list of stuff you could potentially have with like boxes next to them and during the the course of a mission you might be like oh right i need to shoot someone so i'm going to tick this one box here to say that i've got a blaster pistol as part of my equipment but once you've ticked it that is 
set and is then part of your equipment. But as long as you've got boxes that are unfilled, the number of boxes being based on the load you've taken, then you can select equipment as the situation merits it from this list. So it's very flexible. There's another system that we've played quite a bit that handles equipment very differently. Okay. Go on, tell us about World of Darkness and how equipment's handled in that. In World of Darkness games... Uh, you might have defined equipment like you know if you steal a policeman's badge in an adventure you've got a policeman's badge but at the start of the game you tend to have backgrounds such as resources representing how much cash you've got you might have a haven background representing the building you live in and they're sort of abstract measures of stuff that you can get hold of easily so if you've got a high level of resources you and you like you need to buy a car you might have just whoop out your wallet or your credit card and be like boom i've bought that car whereas if you've got a low level of resources, you're going to have to like come up with some cunning plan or some ridiculous way of like getting enough money to get this car. Or, to be honest, you're probably just going to nick it. Because <laughs> you're a vampire. Exactly. So, different sorts of games, different sorts of like player groups... Yeah, are gonna like or dislike these sort of different things. Well, I mean, I th- I think part of it comes down to sort of how much you want the game to be a sort of a simulation. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if you want the game to be, I mean, we know that no game's going to exactly replicate reality. That's ridiculous, obviously. But if you want a game that goes to more effort to try and replicate something resembling reality, then you're probably going to want to keep in mind the fact that yeah, if you're carrying, I don't know, if you're carrying like a wardrobe and you've got a table and you've got a 10 foot pole and you've got a broadsword then you're going to struggle to move much less do anything else and you'll probably want to have that represented whereas if you just want to play a fantasy game where you're like you're kicking ass you're taking names you're probably not going to be so bothered about that but i think most people probably fall somewhere in the middle so for me i don't want the like personally for my game i don't want the the sort of shopping sessions you tend to get mm-hmm. and the the extra resource management that goes into like tracking all of this stuff to the nth degree however i also don't want someone going like oh well i'm wearing full plate armor i'm carrying six backpacks laden down with coins i'm carrying a halberd i've got a 10 foot pole i've got this that and the other but so but i just tend to go with a bit of common sense if someone's got far too much stuff on them i will just say to them you cannot carry any more or you are going to struggle to do whatever the action is based on what they're carrying for myself yeah i'm quite happy to completely not bother with the inventory stuff but it got me thinking today oh maybe i should sort of keep track of a few things like that i don't think it's really so relevant in the game well yeah i mean i I can certainly see your logic i mean you're saying star trek it's a post-scarcity world in the normal course of situations like if you're not trapped or anything or confined then you can just go up to a replicator and go replicator give me a 10 foot pole out it comes no problems but maybe maybe if you want to i was going to suggest maybe if you want to dip your toe in the water of that how about if you run an adventure where they'll maybe stranded somewhere and they've not got access to those resources? Maybe this, there's a shuttle this crash. This may actually be the reason that the idea came into my well, head. Well, there you go, you see. Maybe, maybe there's a However, shuttle crash and you can say to them at the start, right, you can pick X number of items that were on the shuttlecraft, let them define that and then say, right, shuttlecraft crashes that that's what you've got and they have to make do with what they've got i mean you could even like tell them to say they're going on an away mission i mean i don't know the specifics but say they're going on an away mission and you're like right 
Here's a list of things. Pick, let's say, 15 for a random number. Pick 15 things off here. That's what's on your shuttlecraft. Don't tell them what the adventure's going to be. Then halfway through, red alert, red alert, shuttle's crashed. You can then say, oh, you've only got these, like, 15 things. That, that's literally all you've got. You haven't got any replicators. The ship's power's down. What are you going to do about it? However, when I'm running fantasy games, it's obviously a lot more of an important factor. It's the sort of thing that is quite useful and something that I was thinking about with fantasy games like D&D is having the group at the start of the campaign basically come up with a backpack, which is somebody's got the backpack, it's brought with you, and it has the equipment that isn't your bedrolls or your food. Yeah. You agree that between you at the start of your campaign, Mm -hmm. you... You're pulling out a book, I assume you've, somebody else has already got this idea. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just pulling out a book that I think might be an interesting sort of look at it, but okay. I'm just refreshing my so, memory. Yeah, you, you basically come up with the like equipment that you've got for your adventuring group, and if people want to add to it, they can, but it does sort of bypass this like equipment thing that happens at the start of a lot of adventures in D&D. Mm-hmm. If you've already done it in the first adventure and just said, yeah, that's your equipment, unless you get an opportunity to buy more stuff, there's none of this trawling through books and stuff that I remember, which maybe doesn't happen so much in 5th Ed, but I remember being a big part of 2nd Ed. So, come on then, what's in the black hack that you're going to tell me about? Okay, so, on the on the black hack, you have very simple character sheets. Um, it's got an inventory of 20 items, that's what you can carry. Mm-hmm. Simple as. Now, the way another um, sort of OSR game, uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, works is again, you have a certain number of slots on your inventory. Um, some items are classified as oversized items, like double handed weapons, and they take up two slots instead of one. Some items are classified as like tiny items, so like um, a dot, and ten dots would take up an item. And the way that works is it's very easy. You. Why does that sound like the equipment system for Munchkin? I, I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> the Munchkin card game. I wouldn't know, sweetie. No, but um, the way that works is very simple. Cause you you fill up your um, your slots on your inventory. You then count up the number of things you've got in your inventory, and then you use that to determine what the effect is on your movement and stuff like that. So it's taking the basic sort of D and D idea but it's simplifying it a bit you don't have to look at the individual encumbrance for each item. You just go, oh, I've got this many slots filled, right, my movement's reduced by, like, five or whatever. Nice. So I quite like that as a as a sort of in-between measure where it gives you a bit of a flavour of it, but the actual bookkeeping bit is fairly mm-hmm. easy to do. Another aspect of this, of course, is how powerful characters are. Yeah. And I suppose one of the big reasons that everybody has access to everything in the game I'm running is because a big part of that game is, hey, you've got all the power, you can nuke this planet from orbit if you choose to, what are you going to do? Whereas a lot of games are about being the people at the bottom and struggling your way up. And if your character's got nothing but literally his boots and his father's sword, 
then the next piece of equipment that you get hold of is a lot more important to you than when you're at like 20th level and you've got vaults of gold and you're dolled up to the nines in 20 different suits of armour because you can. Yeah. And you've got access to palaces and stuff. doesn't matter so much. So at a lower level, it's obviously a lot more important to do the inventory thing to some degree to talk about like what equipment you have and haven't got access to because it helps keep the like power creep down yeah that's true that's true go on you pulled another book out what are you digging yeah it's icrpg i was seeing if i could find uh, what it lists in terms of like the maximum amount of equipment equipment you can have mm-hmm. but i can't actually see anything about it no, I believe um, I believe ICRPG again. It's just the number of slots on your character sheet. And the thing about ICRPG is, I mean, it's loosely based on like D twenty, D and D, but um, rather than advance by gaining XP and extra abilities, you tend to advance by like gaining loot mm-hmm. um, items, which alter your abilities or give you extra stuff. So obviously what you carry becomes quite important in that game because Mm. you have to sort of juggle things around to try and get the bonuses or whatever that you want so but you can still only carry a limited amount of them so in this because you're like you might be like oh i can let's say you can only carry 10 items you might be like oh i've got five which give me the bonuses which like power me up but that only leaves you like five slots free for carrying actual equipment Mm -hmm. now don't get me wrong like a ring that gives you like plus two strength is amazing but if you find yourself in like a dungeon and you're like oh i left my rope and my lantern at home because i need to carry this ring of strength (laughs) all the strength in the world's not going to help you when you're like trying to cross like a 60 foot chasm in the dark so it's nice because it it makes it important that you sort of pay attention to it but again it's still very simple pretty much everything takes up one slot you've got so many slots you can use if you want more than that you need to buy a car or get a hireling or something else like that i mean one of the advantages one of the few advantages that mages have in the game is some of their spells that they memorize don't count as items whereas most other stuff does so you can carry quite a bit as the mage and still have some spells so mm-hmm. they get like an additional benefit in the fact that like you need a bit of extra equipment carrying the mages probably got space for it I suppose we can't really talk about equipment and inventories without talking about the like obligatory henchman strapped down with half a dozen backpacks and a chest on his back, you know, well, Nodwick. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, now that's going back a bit. <laughs> but yeah, um, obviously one of the th- reasons for carrying henchmen as well as having... Sorry, carrying henchmen. For hiring henchmen as well as having like extra bods in combat and stuff like that is purely so you can carry more loot. Especially, I mean, it'd be quite anticlimactic if you fought your way through to, like, the centre of a dungeon. We're like, great, we've defeated the evil warlord, we we can now claim his treasure. And you're saying, like, oh, we can only carry, like, two bits of it back with us, because, <laughs> like, we're too loaded down. Then you're like, oh, I mean, it could be quite interesting, because then you'd be like, oh, we might have to fight our way out, so what do we keep, and what do we drop so we can carry more treasure? But obviously you can, that's why you take hirelings. So you can just be like, right, grab hold of that treasure chest. Let's go. <laughs> so anything else you want to say about equipment or inventories? No, I mean, like I, say, like I said at the start, the only, you know, one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of extensive inventory things is because you tend to, and I'm not saying every player does this, but we've all had those players where you start off a session and you're like, right, great. There's an exciting adventure coming up. Right. You're heading to the dungeon of deadly doom to take on the dread Demi Lich. And the, everyone else is like, yeah, let's go, let's get in there, and let's kick his ass. And then you always have the one player who's like, actually, I'd like to go and buy some equipment first, if you don't mind. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no problems. 
you want to buy some equipment? What do you want to buy? Thinking, oh, maybe they're going to grab a sword and a few bits and pieces. And they're like, oh, let's have a shop that sells uh, candles and credits. And you're like, yeah, there is. What do you want to buy? And then they, they insist on haggling with the shopkeeper. They insist on shopping around for the best price. And the, sh- the sort of shopping trip, as I like to call it, almost becomes an end unto itself. And hell, I don't even like shopping in real life. Never mind imaginary shopping for imaginary bitch. And I have never, well, yeah, do you know what? I'll I'll put it out there. I've never been in a game or GM'd a game where someone who has spent hours doing their, like, shopping for their equipment has saved the day with any of the equipment they've got. Because generically, if you're going into a dungeon in, like, a D&D fantasy, you need some rope, you need some lanterns, you need some oil, maybe a spade. Happy days. Done. That's what you need. Anything extra is nice, but it's mainly just for flavour. So, I mean, I, I this happened in one of my games oh, a couple of years ago now, where we were going to start off a session, and because we had a guy who was, like, into the equipment, I said, right, before we get to the session, if you want to buy any equipment, you know how much gold you've got. Equipment, we're playing Lamentations of the Flame Prince, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you want to buy any of the equipment, we've all got the book, equipment costs are in there. Mate, if you want to buy stuff, you've got access to Roll20, just take the money off your carriage sheet put the equipment on your carriage sheet and then we're going to start the game as soon as we get started mm-hmm. so we kicked off the game and literally the first thing the guy said is like, oh there's still a few bits of equipment I need to sort out and uh, <laughs> one of the other bits was Johannes actually <laughs> about blue his stack he was just like no that's why John said make sure you've got your equipment before the session so we don't have to do this dish or we can get straight to the game I can't remember if he said it sure but that was like the that was the brunt of it and it's the, the kind of thing I can see him saying and, and the main thing, the main problem with this because don't get me wrong, if there's nothing exciting going on in the game and you're like, oh, I want to do a bit of shopping, that's fine I don't mind that, whatever, You can, maybe you're coming back from an adventure and you're like, I want to spend my hard-earned gold that's fine, no worries, but the fact is especially at the start, if you're the GM and you're like, you're trying to get everyone ramped up, you're trying to get everyone excited so there's like a bit of like, passion and investment in like, yes, we're going on this adventure, we're all enthusiastic, we're going for it, there is nothing that will kill that enthusiasm more stone dead than someone going, Oh, can we spend half an hour going around the shops and <laughs> haggling over fictitious gods? That that will just, like, stop any build-up that you're trying to do for your adventure and, like, throw cold water over it. So then by the time you've done... By the time that hot... And I'm using half an hour just as a random example. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. But once that shopping trip is done, most of the other players who couldn't give a shit about buying, like, whatever, are all then just sat around, like... Yeah, because they because they've, they've not they're thoroughly disengaged mm-hmm. because of that shopping trip. So you've then got to start at square one, getting them built up again, ready for the game. So so it's just effectively wasted that work you put in at the start of the session. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone at the very start of the session said, "Oh, can I buy a bit of equipment?" and you say, "Oh yeah, here's an equipment. Let's buy what you want." And they're just like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to buy this, this, and this," and it's done. That's grand. It's the extended shopping scene that I have a problem with. And to be honest, when people try it now in my game, I'm just like, no. That isn't happening. Okay, so the shopping scene. Dunk! I have seen people make use of it and make like good use of that time for roleplay for the other players who aren't going through the books and being tedious to get in perhaps a scene with somebody trying to pick their pocket and that brings oh, you yeah, into yeah. like the local thieves guild a scene with like just chatting to the merchant and getting some tips on like whatever adventure they're headed to yeah anything it's, like it's that, it can be put to good use like anything it's it's very sort of situation dependent mm-hmm. because like I say if you're if you're in a phase where like everyone's got the idea that like oh we've, we've got a bit of time before the before the adventure let's go and like talk to some NPCs let's find out a bit of information 
competition and let's do this that and the other that's grand because everyone knows what the score is with that and if you want to do a bit of socialising and whatever then that is absolutely grand no problem with that it enriches the world great happy days I've had that happen I've had that done quite a lot in various games I've run my issue is when ever, when you sort of get to the stage where you're like right let's go for the mission now and then someone goes oh actually <laughs> yeah. it's that oh actually yeah, I, I think we can agree that that is a problem yeah um, the, the other problem that I've come up against with the whole equipment inventory thing is at the other end of the game when there's this huge list of what you've found in the uh, dungeon and you have to spend an hour of admin time basically splitting it up between the group and again this is something where keeping it much simpler or not having loot be the sort of target of the game yeah just sort of bypasses that but there are other ways around it so like again you're running a D&D game 10th level say and they've just finished a 6 session dungeon now you're going to have some decent loot at the end of that how would you handle not turning the next hour of gameplay into basically just somebody reading out a list and somebody going I want that and then somebody else going oh but I want that but I want that but I want that I would would hand a ready made list over to whoever the spokesperson is for the party so whoever the party leader is I'll be like you have found I'll give them a brief description I'll be like you have found this here is the list because I run games online it's quite easy for me mm-hmm. to go here's a list in the chat box or whatever now most of my players are pretty good and they'll generally be like because they know I'm not too fussed about the encumbrance as long as it's not ridiculous so quite often they'll be like oh we take the treasure we'll work out exactly how we're going to split it up afterwards and I go that's grand I know you split it between you somehow you're all going to be together mm-hmm. that's fine and I don't ask any questions then later on after the game they can be like alright oh, the barbarian will be better with a plus one sword and, and they can sort it all like that after the game if, if I had players who maybe weren't sort of along that lines I mean like I said I'm, I'm blessed with quite cool players if I had players who maybe wanted wanted to do that whole like oh well who's going to do this who's going to do that and they thought it was a good idea in the middle of a dangerous dungeon to like start pouring over equipment and taking their time and loudly debating what equipment they were going to have I'd just be sat there rolling a d6 and be like oh that wandering monster's going to come along sooner or later <laughs> Fair enough. Or if I really wanted to make the point with sort of sledgehammer salty, I'd be like, oh, you've defeated the villain. Oh, his lair's starting to collapse. Oh, the the ceiling's collapsing. Oh, the roof's falling around you. Oh, yeah, you can stand it if you want, but every turn I'm going to roll a d6 and want to get a one. One of you's going to be hit by a giant rock. (laughs) And if that doesn't get the point across, nothing will. (laughs) But but the fact is, I mean, obviously that's not a subtle example, but the fact is, if normally in a D&D game, if you're in a dungeon, pretty much every round, every other round, the GM's rolling like a a d6 and you've got like a one in six chance for a wandering monster to turn on now if you think that a combat round represents like what 10 20 30 seconds maybe i can't remember the exact amount of time i'm sure someone out there will know Mm -hmm. but if they're stood there having a conversation for a number of minutes how many wandering monster rolls is that going to be and i don't time it exactly i just sit there and like every like 10 or so seconds i'll be like roll the dice (laughs) roll the dice roll the dice and eventually you'll get a one and some more monsters will turn up now they might deal with those monsters but you can bet that after a couple of times that's happened they'll be like maybe we should talk about this back at the end rather than like in the middle (laughs) of the temple of deadly doom so anything else you want to say about inventories no i'm I'm pretty good i think marvelous so that's it for this episode about inventories we hope you enjoyed it if you want to get in touch with us you can leave us a voicemail message using speakpipe there's a link in the description or you can send us a voicemail message to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com until we see you next time take care stay safe and happy gaming bye What have you got to say to the internet today?
Yeah. Anything else? Okay then. <laughs>